My name is my name is my name is Cor, uh, pastor of Outreach and Assimilation here at Hope. Uh, which means if you want to get a cup of coffee, I want to get a cup of coffee. So uh, find me afterwards or email me and say, hey, I want to get a cup of coffee because I'm game. I'll take you out. I'd love to hear your story. That's what I do. Uh, it's all I do and I do it well. Um, I do a couple other things, but that is one of my uh, joys is to be able to just talk to you and meet you. Um, Steve, who uh, typically fills this place, is having a good uh, rest this weekend, uh, much deserved rest, and uh, has allowed his uh, partner to... Uh, uh, give it a go this morning. So I, wanna, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are physically blind. Right now, boom. Blindness sweeps uh, Hope Community. Uh, I really want you to, to imagine what, what it would be right now. You could not see, okay? Now the service ends and you need to figure out how to get out of the sanctuary. Imagine the difficulty, Okay? You might be able to picture uh, what it takes to get out of your robe, but what, it, what does it take to get out of this room? What does it take to get out of the building? How, how difficult would it be? How hard would it be for you? Okay? How are you going to get home? My guess is that some of you had rides, but others of you probably drove uh, or biked. What does that mean now? What about tonight, afternoon? What, do, what are you doing this afternoon? How are you going to get lunch? What are you doing for entertainment? Possibly, uh, if you are, had plans to watch football, that, that's no longer, you're no longer able, so you need to change plans there. Probably the, the rest of your, I'm guessing much of the rest of your day might just have to be canceled, changed, altered. What about tomorrow morning? What are you, what are you doing? Work? School? Can, can you still do what, I mean, for some of us, we might lose our jobs based on that. It's, it's so critical to be able to see what we're doing. Or with school, what would have to change? And now don't just think of tomorrow, but think of all of next week. All of next week, all the plans you had, all the activities, all the times of getting together with others. And now not just a week, but weeks, months, a year from now, blind. Okay? In a year from now, having been blind, would any of your life look the same? Most of it, maybe, you know, almost all of it, probably to some level would be affected, would be changed, would be different because of that. And then, not just one year, but years. However old you are, add 10 years. Can you imagine spending the next 10 years of your life blind? I just think of a, a moment last week, where uh, a week and a half ago, where Drew fell, hit his head, split open his head. I was right there, grabbed him, swooped him up, rushed him down the kitchen, kitchen tried to, you know, stop the, stop the bleeding, had to take him and get, get stitches. Just the, how much that situation would have been impacted. We have the opportunity to look this, this week at a man who experienced blindness, not just right now, but from birth. That's all he ever knew, was just darkness, not being able to see. We're in the middle of a series, um, part two, that says, Who do you say that I am? Meeting Jesus Christ through his signs and ministry and miracles. And what we, what we have um, is essentially the, the second part of a three-part three story. Last week, Steve talked about a man born blind. I want to I kind of recap. Beginning in verse one of chapter nine. 
Uh, you can grab uh, the insert or you can grab uh, the little brochure there or maybe you brought your own Bible. It'll be on the screen. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. How long has this man been blind? Well, we're going to find out later that he is of age, which in this culture, of age means at least 13 years old. At least. Probably more, but he's at least 13 years old. He's been experiencing blindness from birth. At least 13, maybe, maybe more. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In this culture, in this context, there was a definite connection between sin and suffering. If you sinned, you would experience suffering for it. If you were suffering from blindness, you must have sinned. Okay? In this, in this case, since he's blind from birth, the question, was it him? Was it, maybe it was his parents since it was from birth. Did his mom do something while he's in the womb to bring this blindness? That was common thinking. You can see it in the story of Job. And Jesus says, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened. Why? So that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. But while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Huge declaration. Huge declaration uh, attached to chapter 8 and stuff that has preceded this. I wish I had time, but I don't. But uh, Matthew 5, all of a sudden Jesus turns it on us and says, I'm the light of the world. No, you are the light of the world. Incredible. Don't have time to go there, but incredible stuff. Verse 6, having said this, that that God's glory might be displayed in this life, having said all this, that he is the light of the world, he spits on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable experience this guy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just washing the mud out of his, and he sees his reflection in the water for the first time. Imagine that. The joy that he must have experienced. Unbelievable. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no. He only looks like him. Don't know if he changed, just his his complexion, his demeanor just changed so much or if he actually did some physical change of his appearance. We don't know. But they can't tell. He himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash, uh, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. And for me, the joke is just like, well, you can see now. You should have saw where he went. Come on. But uh, he's like, I don't know where he went. And if you're, if you're reading in like a New International Version of the Bible, you have a Bible in front of you, sometimes they have chap, uh, little breaks within the chapter, and this is one of them in the NIV, and they have, a, they have a title actually. It says, the Pharisees investigate the healing. It's like, wait, what? Investigate? What are you talking? This is like CSI, like crime scene investigators? Like, this is, like a crime has occurred or something? What does this mean? But it is totally legit. There is an investigation that's about to ensue, and that's where we're going to be at uh, today. In verse 13, it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And the they in this is the neighbors. If you go back to verse 8, it says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, you know, kind of got in this conversation. And and they are the ones who bring uh, this man to the Pharisees. Why? Why? Why would they do that? It's kind of a weird thing. 
All right, next verse. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a, was a Sabbath. See, for us, we're just kind of like, yeah, huh, what, wait, what? Uh, but in this, this is, like, this is like high drama that just took place. The fact that Jesus made mud and healed him on the Sabbath is like, you know, if we had like a musical accompaniment to the sermon, it'd be like, dun, 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 dun. You know, for us, it's just kind of like, doo-doo-doo. I mean, we don't, we, don't, we don't quite grasp it. And so what I want to do is try and help you just feel that and, and contextualize it because this is, for, the, for them, this is a huge deal. This is a big deal. This is not just to be glossed over, okay? And so, and, and so the people that brought him, to, brought him to the Pharisees knew, whoa, 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 wait, what? this just happened yesterday? Wait, that was the Sabbath. I mean, they, they, they had enough whereabouts to say, we better take this guy to the Pharisees and see what what the ruling is on this. We better get the investigation going. So they brought him to the Pharisees. The Sabbath. Why is this a big deal? Why is it a big deal? Okay, two things. Two things in this culture that, if we understand, will help us to just better get a grasp of this whole passage, okay? There was the written law, all right? God, hey, how you doing? Meet you at the, on the mountain, and I, I'm going to give you the, the commandments. I'm going to give you the written law. I'm going to give you the first five books of the Bible. I'm going to give you the whole Old Testament, okay? Here's the written law. That was one. That was big, big. But then there's this whole other piece called the oral law, okay? So you got your written law, everything dictated, you know, it's just write it down. Got it, okay? Now this oral law over here develops, and what that is is essentially the rabbis or the teachers, their interpretation, their discussion, what they think all of this over here means, they establish this oral tradition. And in their mind, in this context, those two are equal. Okay? So the written law handed down by God and our interpretation, our oral tradition, both of them are gospel. Both are good. It's all good. Either one. So much so that this is, this is a, a story that was uh, presented here. A Gentile, a non-believer, an unbeliever one, comes to a rabbi and says... How many laws do you have? The rabbi says, we got two. Okay, well, what are they? Well, we got the written law, and we got the oral law. We got two laws. And this unbeliever says, all right, I'll become a, follow, a Jew, essentially, but I only want the written law. I only want the written law. The rabbi says, no, no. He's like, no, I just want the, I want the written law. You guys keep your oral law, he says. He casts them out. Can't have, can't have one without the other in this context. Okay, so that's one biggie. They have viewed these, this, this written law and oral law, as, oral law as equal. Now, also, this oral law was extensive. Like, so much so that as I was reading it this week, I'm like, this thing might be exhaustive. They might have something in here for every possible situation ever. It's unbelievable. And it was later on, in, in the following centuries, okay, they developed this thing called the Talmud. We're going to take this oral tradition, and we're going to write it down so we don't forget it. You know, it used to be an oral culture, 70 AD happens, there's a temple, there, people are de, the, the temple's destroyed and the people are dispersed, and they say, we've got to get something down on paper, so we're all rallying around the same point here, we'll create the Talmud. Okay, it's a record of rabbinic discussions pertaining to Jewish law, ethics, customs, and history. The Talmud has two components, the Mishnah and the Gemara. The, the Mishnah, which is the first written compendium of Judaism's oral law. But here's the deal. There's two different ones going on. There's the one around Jerusalem and the one around Babylonia. So there's this, this first thing. We're going to look from the Babylonian Talmud. 
Um, the important thing is, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to get at is, even though this Talmud was a couple centuries after this story in John, what I'm trying to do is just get you a feel for the culture, for the oral tradition and the beliefs that were going on. Not just the written law, but the oral law that people followed. So let's, let's look at a couple of them. Chapter 6 of Mishnah 1 in the Babylonian Talmud. All right, ladies, here we go. In what ornamental apparel may a woman go out? And in what may she not go out? All right? This isn't the only one, but this is, this is one of them. A woman is not allowed to go out, even if in private ground, either with woolen or linen bands or with straps on her head to keep her hair in tresses. I don't even know what tresses are. Um, okay. Uh, as a precaution, why are they doing this? As a precaution, lest she enter public ground and take off the bands to show to her friends, thereby becoming guilty of carrying movable property for a distance of four L's or more. I mean, this is, we're having this whole mission right here just as a precaution in case you were to take off your, your band. So in that sense, we're just not going to allow you at all to go out with woolen or linen bands or with straps, just as a precaution. Okay? Doesn't, not just people. It doesn't apply to just people. Animals. Chapter 5, Mishnah 3. And what must animals not go about in on the Sabbath? Okay? Who knew? I just want to take my dog for a walk. Can't do it. Camel with a crupper. Okay? Nor with hobbles on both legs. Nor with the front leg hobbled with the hind. It's a big deal on the Sabbath. This law is applied to all other animals. It is not allowed to tie camels together with a rope and then lead them. But one is permitted to hold in his hand the several ropes on the camels and lead them, provided the ropes are not twisted into one. Okay? Got to be careful. We don't want to twist. But hopefully what, you, what you're getting is just a grasp of this oral law that developed, this Talmud of rules and their interpretations. Okay, we have the holiness of God, we have his written law, and now here's our interpretation. We've, this is how it plays out. There's another one in the, in the chapter 1. It talks about the, the beggar and the master. And the beggar comes to a master and wants something from him. And there's all these, this, this whole dialogue about how that's going to take place. And if you do it wrong, you'll be culpable, you'll be uh, responsible for sin. But there are ways to do it that you would, the, the rabbis feel like, no, you're, it's all good. And then there's stuff about even how you light your house and what wicks you use and the oils. It, it's exhaustive. It's exhausting. I mean, there's just so much. 26 chapters we could go into. No, okay, no, we won't go there then. But you can just imagine. And what it is, y yes, some of them, it's good for safety and for respecting others, honoring the environment, caring for your livestock. And then there's others that just, I'm just clueless. Like, what, what is that? Like, I don't, I don't see the application, the interpretation, the jump from um, but here it, here it is, the Pharisees, at, in their heart of hearts, they so want to defend the holiness of God. They so want to defend this written law. They so want people to observe it well that they created this oral tradition, this oral law, this Talmud to help you. And at times, um, it, it can be difficult. It can be difficult to follow all of those. So here it is, in verse, picking it up the story back in verse 15. Okay, so this is all the context where this, these things are equal and, and you have to observe the oral law like you did the written law. Just, it's, a, it's a huge contextual thing. With high drama here. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. The man born blind says, he put mud on my eyes 
and I washed, and now I see. So the drama, the music comes to a great crescendo, and there are two now, there are two possibilities. Two possibilities. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He doesn't keep the oral tradition. He cannot be from God. That's just, that's just the way it is. But others asked, the second possibility, others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Miraculous. Healed a man born blind. And the rest of the dialogue is trying to get at this identity of Jesus. Is he bad because he seemed to break the Sabbath? Or is he, is he good because he, he healed the man born blind? So they get, a, uh, they get one opinion brought into this, and it's the man born blind. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. They're kind of having this conversation, trying to figure it out. Is he, is he from God? Is he, is he a sinner? What's the deal? They turn to him. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Like, are you kidding me? Like, he's a prophet. This, guy's, this guy healed me. It's almost, an, it's almost a, an unbelievable question even to ask. It's like, yeah, this guy's from God. It's incredible. I can see. And at that, the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders, change their strategy. They can't discredit him. They can't discredit the miracle that seems to have taken place. Um, so maybe they, they change to a different strategy. They go to his parents. They go to his parents. Maybe, maybe this is just a hoax. Maybe this guy's just making it all up. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind in verse 18 and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? Just mistaken identity, maybe. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? How is it? Verse 20, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. And then the comment, ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Okay? Yes, it's our son. Yes, he was blind. Yes, he can see. We don't want to speak to how that happened. Why? Verse 22. His parents said that this because they were afraid of the Jews. Afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. There's different kinds of excommunication in this culture. They could have been threatening like a two-month, one-month or two-month kind of just get out of here thing, or it could be just a life, lifelong, just banned. Can't come back. And synagogue doesn't just mean like, hey, hey, you came to church on Sunday, you can't come on Sunday mornings. This is like, no, this is, this is your family. This is your life. They're saying, go get a whole new life. So the, the parents were fearful, said, he is of age. Ask him. So the parents, that strategy doesn't work. Parents get nowhere. Get them nowhere. Second time, they summon the man who had been blind. Maybe he wants to change his story. Maybe he really doesn't want to, you know, honor God. Um, so they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. That term, give glory to God, it points back to another Old Testament phrase, Joshua 7. Essentially just says, tell the truth. You, tell us the truth. Tell us that this man is a sinner because that's what we know. And we just want to hear it come from you. 
that this man is a sinner. Give glory to God. Tell the truth. I'm going to try that with my son. Drew, give glory to God. Did you hit your brother Isaac or not? Give glory to God, boy. You know, it's like, oh man, that's like, puts the fear of God in you. Um, but the Pharisees won't budge. Won't budge. Even with the evidence of the healing right in front of them, they won't budge. We know. We know this man is a sinner. We know it, and we want you to acknowledge it. 25, though, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. I'm not a religious leader. I'm not a Pharisee. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And for any of you who have begun a relationship with Christ, you know how exciting that is, of going from a place of just blindness, just not being able to grasp God's word and who he is and what he's done for us, just without hope, just not knowing what to make of your life. And then something happens. God just shows up, very much like the, the offering song for the lame man. God just shows up and ushers you into his house, up to the table, where without money, you can just buy, you can take, you can eat, you can enjoy life with God. And he just does that for us. It's not what we can do, but it's what he does for us. If you've ever experienced that, you just understand this, like, I don't get it all. I don't get it how, how, how Jesus is, is both man, fully man, and fully God, and the Trinity, and I don't understand all that. But one thing I can say is, I was blind, and now I see. Blind, but now I see. Verse 26, it carries on. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? It's like, we're getting nowhere here, guys. We're just like, keep circling the block. It's like, what? okay, let's try it again here. Uh, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be, become his disciples too? It's like, whoa. Boldness here, some serious courage being thrown down. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. You know, just trying to undermine Christ, undermine his background. And it's interesting because this is actually a flip of an argument that they made just previously. In a couple chapters before in John 7, they're like, we know where Jesus comes from. He comes from Nazareth. When Messiah comes, no one will know. But in this, they're, they're throwing the exact, I mean, just the flipping back and just saying, we don't even know where he comes from. Verse 30, hear, hear the one who was blind. I mean, think of where this guy was at the start of the day. Blind beggar on the side of the road. And now God shows up and he's teaching the teachers. In verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Let me tell you something about knowledge. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. In this culture, in this context, this idea that God does not listen to sinners, he listens to the godly, was well represented. It's well represented in the Old Testament. Okay? Ezekiel says of the disobedient people in Ezekiel 8, Though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. I won't hear the prayers of the disobedient. Okay? 
If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. When Job, speaking for one of, his, one of the hypocrites there, he says, will God hear this cry when trouble comes up from upon him? He's thinking, no. God hears. God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. And so the final straw comes in verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Nothing. Insinuation? I believe he's from God. Because look what he did. And utterly defeated in argument, you know, they have matched wits with the blind man and come up lacking. The Pharisees respond with one of my great comebacks when I've been thoroughly defeated. Uh, yeah, and you're ugly. I mean, they got nothing. Like, it's like, I got nothing here. And so, in verse 34, they reply with just insults. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw them out. I mean, they got nothing left. And in that, in that just blind attempt to save face, and you just put this person out, they actually... You remember how this passage started in John chapter 9 in the first couple of verses? Who sinned, this, parent, this man or his parents? And God says, hey, no, 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 don't think of it that way. I'm going to display my glory through him. And the Pharisees, in this declaration, you were steeped in sin at birth. You know, just in their arrogance, just throwing that out there. They missed it. They're totally wrong. Jesus had already said, this, might, this has happened so that God's glory might be revealed. Two things the Pharisees claimed that they knew, that they knew that Jesus was a sinner. Why? Because he appeared to break the Sabbath, which was part of their oral tradition. And they, God spoke to Moses. That was what they were hanging their hat on, that this guy was a sinner and that, that God had spoken to Moses. They were going to cling to those two things. And the, the man born blind, what does he claim? I was blind, but now I see. And God doesn't listen to, to sinners. So there's something about this. He's not making any sort of formal declaration. He doesn't know enough. He's just saying, there's something about this guy. Something's happened. I'll never be the same. And I just know that God doesn't listen to sinners. What do we do with all this? What do, I mean, it's just an incredible story. And I think if we take any one bit out of this, we could really get some bad theology. Like, well... Of course, God doesn't listen to sinners, and I'm a sinner, and so I'm not going to pray. It's like, no, no, no. What can we glean from this? I think each, each of the, the characters in this story brings something that I think can help us. The Pharisees, the religious leaders. For those of you who go to church with some uh, regularity, according to the watching world, that's, that's you, that's us. We're the Pharisees of this world. We're the religious people, and uh, they're, they're watching. And in this in this particular instance, they're not painted in a very good light, you know? Yes, they have a desire for God's holiness, but wow, this whole oral tradition can, can has the potential to ruin a lot of people. It's like, I was trying to think of it like in a, a similar analogy. We, in our desire to honor God, make a, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put a line in the sand, I'm not going to go to any rated R movies, because I don't think that's holy. I'm going to stick my foot in the, I'm just going to draw a line. I'm not going. And then all of a sudden the passion of the Christ comes out. We're just like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
I mean, something gets outside of that box. So that we want to just, we want to be able to do that. We just want to draw a line in the sand. And sometimes that can get us in trouble. And that's what they were trying to do. But Jesus has some words for him in Matthew 23. It's like, I hear your intense desire for holiness. You want to you wanna tithe 10% to God. Down to the last little spice. You got your little spice rack out there and you're trying to throw 10% to God. And it's like, you're so holy. But you deny. You miss justice and mercy and faithfulness and love. You miss that. You're so focused on one of the trees that you miss the forest. And so that's one, one thing, one takeaway for hope, for you, hopefully, is that in your quest to be for God, that you, just, you don't miss the, the big picture, the fact that he was just, he just did something for us. He just showed up. How about the parents and the neighbors? Just unwillingness to really even side with anyone in the story, just fearful. Fearful, if I side with this person, they're going to throw me out of the synagogue. Side with this person, I might just be wrong. You know, I might deny Jesus. Some pretty harsh words, um, critical words, uh, convicting words, I guess, as well, put out by Jesus, you know, about our acknowledgement before him. And if we acknowledge him before others, he will acknowledge us in the presence of God. And if not, if we don't acknowledge him before others, then he will not. They acknowledge us. I mean, that's, that's one of those where I get the chills. I mean, it's just, who, whose side are you on? Where are you at in this whole thing? Um, I just was really encouraged by a gal in between services who just said, you know, God gave me the chance. You didn't know what you're talking about with the, with the parents and the neighbors giving a chance to kind of make a little declaration? Philosophy class, just this past week. God just... I mean, it just, the room got silent. I just had a chance to just share about God, you know? In those, in those moments that God gives you, are you willing to acknowledge him? And then the man born blind. The man born blind. At some level, this is, this is all of us. This is all of us. At some level, okay? Maybe, maybe God just showed up one day and, and you were able to experience him and you made a decision to follow him. That does not absolve you from any, like, Potential blindness that you could have in your life. Um, I, I feel like, if anything, I'm growing in my, my understanding of my need for God. Every day. Every day. Man, I know more that I need him now than I did when I made that original decision. And, and, the, and the great thing about this guy who was born blind, I'm just drawn to his humility. You know? He's just like, I don't get it. I don't understand all, how it all works, but, man, I can see just a humble guy. And then Jesus Christ, who is not on the scene at all in this passage, but is everywhere in it. Um, if you have not heard what I think, you know, meeting Jesus Christ through his signs and ministry means in this passage is that he is the light of the world. It's kind of the, book, it's kind of the chapter ends, but in the middle, he is the light of the world. It kind of points back to John 1 where it says um, there was, he was the light coming into the darkness. And what else does it say? It says, he came to that which was his own and they didn't receive him. They didn't even recognize him. When God comes to you and I this week, will we recognize him? Will we believe in him? Will we trust in him? In closing, I want, to, I want to ask you to imagine for a moment that not, not that you're physically blind anymore, but that you're just spiritually blind. Spiritually blind. 
You can put yourself on the side of the road as a, as a beggar, just like this guy was, but it's in a spiritual sense. You're just impoverished. You have nothing. You're without hope, without God. You have no understanding of spiritual matters. Okay? You have no belief in God. Frankly to you, God just doesn't exist. And I, wanna, I want you to imagine just going on in that for days. Okay? No hope, no belief. If anything's going to happen, it's up to you. Okay? And then like the beggar, God does show up and allows you to see. Some of you have probably experienced that. At some level, you've experienced that. Just You weren't necessarily asking for him. You didn't invite him in. He just showed up in your life. For me, that was when I was a freshman at the U of M. Life came crashing down around me, and God showed up. And like this blind man, nothing we could do. Nothing that we can do to manufacture somebody just giving us sight. You're blind. It's like, how can you do that? There's nothing you can do. But God can. God is able to. Yes, he wants to hear our questions. Yes, he wants to hear our prayers. Yes, invite him. Ask him. But the only one, the only one that can bring us from darkness to light and from blindness to sight is God. There's just no way around it. And so what is, what is my call for us to do uh, today, tonight, this week? Remain in him. Abide in God. Cling to that cross. Hopefully we say that enough. I mean, just, you treasure that. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole. Will you pray with me? Father, even as I stand up here in front of all these people, I can't help but think of my own life and God, just the, the pride, the, the unbelief, getting prayed for in between services, God, just wanting to abide in you, wanting to be thankful for all that you've done and realizing that just my pride, my unbelief in you is just, it's It's hard. It's hard to handle, God. And so, God, with this group of people, I just want to confess um, and just say, God, one more time, one more time, I want to follow you. I want to believe in you. I want to thank you for bringing me from darkness to light. God, giving me a chance just to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and who he is. And God, that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. God, help us never to get beyond that. Like, we're, we're too good for that point. We're ready to be, hear other things. Like, no. We want to treasure Christ today. As much as we did the first time around, we want to treasure Christ today. God, it's only by you doing something, only by you working through your Holy Spirit that that's going to happen. So we invite that, God. We ask. In Jesus' name, amen.